In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. I greet you this morning in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I bring you greetings on behalf of your brothers and sisters throughout the Episcopal Diocese of Atlanta. That is the Episcopal Church in Middle and North Georgia. 116 worshiping communities, 75 and a half counties. 56,000 men, women, children, teenagers, and feisty seniors. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Good morning. Since today, today is a special day, uh, and since today is a special day, the third most holy day in all of Christendom, I wonder if you'd give me a little bit of room this morning. Uh, what I mean is, is that it's Mother's Day. I hope that's not news to somebody here this morning. <laughs> and so if you'll allow me, let me do a little bit of a roll call. And so when I call your group, if you're able, why don't you stand? So first and foremost, to the most holy among us, great-grandma, if you're present, would you stand and let us honor you? Deserving of praise, she is. Now, to the happiest group in the genre, because those people do not live at your house anymore. Grandma, stand up. Yes. Look at those smiles. You may be seated. <laughs> now, to my sisters still in the struggle, <laughs> won't you stand up and let us honor you, all the mothers in the room. And, of course, there is that category uh, of, of those of us here whose mothers have gone on to glory, now live with the Lord. We love them but see them no longer. And nevertheless, we feel their prayers. We still hear their words. They stand on a balcony watching over us, and we remember them here today. And then there's a special group of people, very personal for me, and that's the group of people who raise children that are not from their own bodies. I'm adopted, and I, here's what I know. It takes a whole lot of woman, takes a whole lot of man to raise somebody else's children. And to you today, we honor you and thank you for your heart and your hands. Happy Mother's Day to you. And now, here we are. We have, please. With all that applause, maybe I should sit down now. <laughs> but let me persevere here. Uh, we also have, on this wonderful day, those who come to be confirmed, reaffir reaffirmed, and those who come to be received. And so to you and to all of us, I want to use this morning as my sermon subject some words that are familiar to us in the Episcopal Church, words that come from our regular Sunday treasure trove, words that are intended, listen, intended to help us operationalize love in the real world. Every Sunday in most Episcopal churches, after the sermon, after the creed, the prayers, even the confession and absolution, men and women all over the world stand up and say, 
walk in love. We know these words. We're Episcopalians after all. We have heard that piece of poetry our entire life every Sunday. Say it with me if you know it. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us an offering and sacrifice to God. Well done. Now, I've observed in my years that usually when we hear those words, some things start to happen. Number one, the ushers start walking. Yeah, number two, what? People start to reach for their wallets and their purses. Number three, some group in the assembly bursts out in song. And number four, someone prepares a meal big enough for everyone. So then when we walk, when we hear walk in love, God's people start walking and reaching and singing and preparing. Have I got that much right so far? All right, we got to do this sermon together now, all right? But there's something important in that phrase, walk in love, because it is first and foremost a declaration of our purpose. God's purpose in Jesus of Nazareth was to walk in love among us. So then the purpose of Jesus' followers is to imitate his example and teaching. Jesus never called us to venerate him. Jesus has called us to replicate him. We remember that the word purpose has its origins in the word fire. And we remember that every time God wants to do something, Scripture tells us there's a fire. With a big bang and a fireball, the universes were born all in a moment. Fire is how God got Moses' attention on a mountaintop and transformed him from a fleeing felon into the father of a nation. And fire is what we say, we, you and I, say happened to us on that Pentecost long ago. Fire got on us and fire got in us. It's fire, friends, that changes things. Always been so. So we walk in love because that's our purpose. That's who we are. And that is the best foundation for partnerships with the divine and partnerships with one another. Love is at the center of the Jesus movement. Our presiding bishop is right. If it ain't about love, it ain't about God. And we are about God in this place, are we not? That was a little shaky. I'm going to pose that one more time. If you need some more answers, see me after the sermon. We are about God in this place. Is that right? Yeah. So, so all I'm saying to you is, then therefore, love is our purpose. Just to be clear, I say, when I say the word love, I don't mean some insipid, syrupy sentiment, not ready for the world. What I mean, what scripture means, is the most durable substance in the universe. I mean, the divine love showcased for us in the love of Christ lived for the world. I mean, a love that pours itself out and toward God and toward neighbor. And though poured out, notice this, and though this love is poured out somehow by the dispensing of itself, it replenishes itself in the act. I'm talking about love this morning. I'm talking about something that binds wounds and makes wonders right now. I mean, a love whose best measurement is Christian maturity. Paul said that you and I are called to grow up into the full stature 
of Christ. That's how we know we're growing. If what the Bible tells us about God's love is true, then I've got some good news for somebody this morning. To walk in God's love is to be surrounded by God's love. To walk in love is to be in something that has no bottom, something infinite. Something so encompassing and elastic is God's love that even when we fall, and we fall, we don't break, we bounce. And even when our days on earth are finished, you and I get to say that God's love is forever and ever and ever. And we say that in a particular way in the Episcopal Church, standing even at the gravesite, even though we stand at the gravesite, yet our song is, Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. That's what we mean when we say that. That we are moving from one place to another place, still encompassed by love. If you don't believe me, flip to the back of the Bible. Hate and division lose. Love wins. In God's love, there is no lack of love. Why is this all important? I'm so glad you asked. (laughs) If you and I are immersed in a love that has no borders, no limitations, and no litmus test, then you and I have all that we need to go to the places that seem loveless for Christ's sake. Remember, Paul said, walk, take the show on the road. Remember, Jesus actually never said, wait and welcome. Jesus said, go and make. Because we walk in love, you and I can walk into rooms, yes, rife with political rancor. Because you and I are not the stewards and the carriers of contempt. No, we carry something much more. Because baptized is our primary identity. We are, as I like to say, trans-political. We are in politics, but we are not of politics. And so this is news to somebody. Welcome to the trans community. (laughs) You didn't know that about yourself, did you? What I'm trying to say, friends, is that we are more than red or blue. We are more than liberal or conservative. What you and I are, are ambassadors for Christ. And yes, while we may differ on political personalities or policies, first and foremost, our primary citizenship is with the saints in light. And so we hold fast to love and do the things that love demands. You remember, of course, that there is no Republican or Democratic section in heaven. We resist evil. We respect the dignity of every human being. You're going to affirm that in just a little while. We live that out through our care of the immigrant, the indigent, and the ignorant. We figure out how to secure borders and take care of people fleeing violence and destitutions. That is what great nations do. We do both. We're big enough to do both. We support law enforcement, yes, while insisting that they protect and serve every citizen equally, no matter their address, no matter their zip code, no matter the color of their skin. And incidentally, some of you heard me say in the fellowship hall, depending on the heroism of children in the face of school shooters is not a substitute for public policy. Smart, mature public policy that takes care of the health emergency that we have right now. 
This is life for us when we do this, when we stand at these intersections armed with our little, thus saith the Lord. We ultimately are fastened to the one whose authority has no term limit. We do this because we know that that son of Georgia was right, Dr. King, when he said this, that justice is love overthrowing everything that is not love. Which is to say, love is a force that is rebelling. It's actively rebelling against everything that is not love. So get in the game, why don't you? And understand this, that for the baptized, the present political climate really is but a useful precondition for us to show the world what it means to walk in love. To show folks that there are some peculiar people over there at All Saints Episcopal Church who love the Lord more than they love the status quo. And so we walk on. And as we walk, love takes us to unfamiliar places. Love does that. Watch Paul on his three missionary journeys, which was basically him stumbling around the then-known world. Notice Jesus wearing out his sandals around Galilee to do what? To expand the notion of neighborliness always. To increase friendship with enemies. And finally, and this is our North Star, friends, to please God. Above all else, to please God. So here's the question. Where do we go for the sole reason that Jesus' love compels us to be there? Where do you go? Because we walk in love, we find ourselves among all kinds of people. Love drives you there. We will find ourselves with people from different faiths, not as adversaries in love or competitors for religious market share, but rather simply as humans of various stripes on a God journey. If we are in love, therefore, then we know love and we recognize love when we see and hear love in different contexts than our own. Trust yourself. In love, we can sit with the Muslim or the Jew or the non-believer, the agnostic, the atheist. How? Secure in having met God in the face of Jesus Christ ourselves. Secure and yet open to how God is revealing God's self to others. We can do that. Say amen. amen. There is one more thing to this walking in love business. And this is it. It is entirely an experimental enterprise. Highly iterative. Wonderfully, wildly innovative. In fact, truth is, it's more art than science can't be entirely contained in the Book of Common Prayer or the Bible. No, God's got us right now. When Paul sat down to write his first letter to that ragtag group of believers, it was a startup then. There wasn't any precedent. He was building a bridge as he was crossing over it. And so walking in love, first and foremost, is learning to love. I have the good fortune of knowing Ambassador Andrew Young. Some of you do as well. He was with Dr. King, as you know, and others, at major intersections of this country's last 60 years. It was because of his Christian discipleship that you and I, to an extent, get to be in this room as family. The first time I met him, we were doing a fancy society wedding, you know, up at the cathedral, up the road. 
Now, fortunately for me, the bride was late. Bless the Lord. Good for me, not so good for him. Which means he and I were locked in a room for about an hour. Can you imagine? Now, here's the point. Given that my undergraduate degree is in American history, yes, I'm that guy. Now I had him, the oracle before me. Now was my time to learn the secret of the strategic plan that he and Dr. King with others crafted to help America be a more perfect union. I had him. So I asked him, waited for my moment. I asked him, do tell, what was the strategic plan? How did you accomplish it all? Desegregation, civil rights, voting rights, economic enfranchisement. How did you do it all? How stupid I must have looked. Well, here's the truth. I can't repeat his answer in a holy place like this. <laughs> I can't do that. Plan, he said. There was no <coughs> plan. There was no plan. He said this. He said it was love. He said every day we got up, he kissed Coretta, I kissed Jean, his then wife. And we tried. We just tried to make some progress on the things we said we were about. We ran experiments. We exercised the faith that was in us. We asked God for more faith. We walked in love in places like Albany, Georgia, or if you prefer, Albany, Georgia. Places like Cicero, Illinois. He went on to say, in those places we got our tails kicked. But we kept learning, kept experimenting, kept walking in love. What Ambassador Young knew, what the Apostle Paul knew is that for the church, and by the way, I'm not talking about a building here, I'm talking about me and you, for the church to be its truest self, her best self, she has to commit to learning to love bigger and better. Why? Because we know that the best growing comes from going. If we're going to walk in love, we're going to have to disassemble together, starting with our own address the culture of fear and failure that exists too much in the church and in the world that encumbers us, enslaves us. We've got to be converted to the mindset that there is no failure in Christ Jesus, only new learnings to the glory of God. Walking in love means truly and profoundly that we walk by faith. We walk by faith. So here's the upshot. What experiment is God calling you to run in the world? What group of people is God sending you to? How is the Holy Spirit prompting you beyond confirmation, reaffirmation, and reception? What happens Monday? Lastly, let me say that walking in love presupposes generosity. I suppose that is why we use the phrase as our offertory sentence. When we say that, Phrase on Sunday, God's people start walking and reaching and singing and preparing. Activity begins to happen. Each action is an expression of generosity. And generosity, we know, is best born 
by authentic gratitude. And so, what an immense privilege it is to be baptized. An immense privilege. And what a gift it is in this rudderless world for you and I to be set aside for the sole purpose of extending God's friendship enterprise. For you and I to increase the celebrity of Jesus Christ over all the fake celebrities of the world. What a great compliment God has paid each person here to do God's work at such a pivotal time in the world and in the church. What gratitude should be welling up in us that we are not abandoned, but directed and cared for. Grateful for life and the portion of health we enjoy. Grateful for our common life together. Grateful that our hands are on a plow designed by God Almighty. And so, some days I can scarcely take it in. And my mind runs back to that old hymn. You know, when you get overwhelmed by the thing. And the hymn that said this, when he got overwhelmed, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. My great Redeemer's praise, the glory of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. Brothers and sisters, happy Mother's Day. Walk in love. Amen.